first time. You lose your heart. Someday, somewhere, I'll make a difference. It's a mockery. I mean, we're not some some deep space franchise. This station is about something. The year is 2023. The name of the podcast: Babylon Five. For the first time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I am watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And I'm Brent Allen, and I'm also watching Babylon 5 for the first time. Jeff and I are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching this show for the very first time. Unlike most of y'all out there who have seen it 30 times over the last 30 years, Jeff and I never. This is the first time either one of us have ever done that. However, being Star Trek podcasters, we're used to overanalyzing shows and looking for messages and morals and meanings and hope for the future. And we are taking that skill and applying it right here to Babylon 5. But what we're not doing is comparing this show to Star Trek itself. Not at all. We're looking at the big stuff, the big like meta sci-fi things. So to keep us on point, because we are Star Trek podcasters, we play the rule of three. That means for each episode, Brent and I each only get three references to Star Trek. That's it. Three. One of those three. No substitutions, exchanges, a refund. <laughs> hey, Brent. Hey, Jeff. We have a five-star review. Oh, yes. This is on Apple Podcasts from AJ. That's like the easiest Apple podcast name we've ever got. How did you get that name, AJ? You must have been like a day one or probably used to work at Apple. AJ's like, I got it. I'm going to kick off all the other AJs and take it for myself. AJ says, the best way to enjoy or re-enjoy a classic show. This podcast makes me look forward to Mondays. I may disagree. I may wince. I may cheer. I may have to bite my tongue as to what they haven't seen yet, but I always enjoy the well-thought-out, enthusiastic deep dive into their latest discussion. Having two first-timers is the perfect format. No hints of the future. No bias from what happens later. It's given me fresh eyes to approach the highs and lows of one of the best sci-fi shows ever made. Could this be the best B5 podcast ever? Maybe. It's, however, a sheer joy. And despite countless rewatches of B5, I learned something I missed or didn't see that way. I am blown away with how insightful these guys are with their analyses and predictions and the small details they pick up and miss. If you listen to just one B5 podcast, make it this one. Jeff, I'm pretty sure the I'm blown away by the small details they pick up. That's you. And miss, that's me. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. (laughs) That's just a nice way of being like, I'm really impressed with Jeff and Brent. And then Brent's there. (laughs) (laughs) We're awed by Jeff. We laugh at Brent. Brent, I'm awed by you. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Every day. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, you know what? What's that? We have another five-star review. Oh, yes. Also on Apple Podcasts, this one beats AJ for the name. This one's from Smelly Pie. Okay. Just going to let that sit for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, seriously, anyone. (laughs) Because that's when you get really close. (laughs) 
smelly pie. I have Jeff. I have an eleven-year-old. This stuff is hilarious. <laughs> Dude, we're basically eleven-year-olds. Oh, right. Like, <laughs> I talk about. I, I say it all the time. Like, you guys have no idea what thirteen-year-old Brent is doing right now. <laughs> smelly pie says. <laughs> you can't say it straight. I can't. I can't. Okay, I can. I can do this. <clears throat> smelly pie says. Enthusiastic pair. Love this. Well, well, well. Babylon 5 for the first time is my new last best hope for an excellent thought out analysis of what is my all time favorite sci fi show. The process of analyzing against the backdrop of Star Trek is brilliantly constructed. I'm only six episodes in and ready for a binge listen. These guys make season one interesting to listen to. No easy feat, given it's a hard season in rewatch terms, and I'm looking forward to them experiencing it all for the first time. I hope they are blown away as much as the rest of us were by this show, and the enthusiasm they bring will be taken to a whole new level, and I can't wait to listen. Well done, you two, and thank you for the hard work you put into this. Enjoy the journey. Thank you. Jeff, are you enjoying the journey? I am so much to to this point with where we have seen. Would you say that Babylon five has blown you away though? I got to be honest. You're in, you're in process. Yeah. Has it blown you away yet? Yes. Has it? Brett, I had very low expectations coming into this. I have to be honest. I did. I, I, I've shared before that I saw Babylon five when it first came out, I looked at it. I thought it looked like garbage. And I said, I'm not like what, what low budget, copycat wannabe trash is this and i threw it on the refuse pile and when i dove into it as my background kind of watch Mm -hmm. what god almost two years ago now or a year and a half ago now it was literally i'm gonna watch this in the background because it's i mean then i can check the box and say i watched it it's not going to be good i think it has based on that it's kind of blown me away what about you it has not no but i came in with pretty high expectations because of what i've heard about babylon 5 from other people that I respect, you know what I mean? Like I, I have expected, I've expected this show to be good. And I think uh, particularly in those spaces where like we get to the end of an episode and they don't answer something or they, we, you get an episode <laughs> that doesn't further the story and I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. It's because it's not that it's not that I expect everything to be wrapped up in a neat little bow. No, no, no. I've heard what this is. And I want to get to that. And if you're wasting my time by not giving me that, it pisses me off because I want to get there. But I will, I will say I am in process of being blown away, but I'm not very like, I I don't, because I don't know where it's going yet. I have an idea. I'm excited to get there. You know, like I would say the, the fuse is, is getting really close, you know, but I'm not, I'm not yet blown away. I think it's interesting just because like our biases coming in, like our expectations really set that difference. But I think yeah. for me too, like I think part of what blows, blows me away with this is mm-hmm. just the fact that like they got away with it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in 94, five, six is what we're watching. They put something like this on TV and it kept showing. That's like, that's honestly mind well, blowing. And for all the troubles we've heard about Babylon five with P 10 and how, the markets wouldn't even play it and, and mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff. I mean, really it sounded very similar to the troubles that star Trek enterprise went through when it was on air. And we saw what happened with enemy enterprise got canceled too soon, right? Yeah. When it was good, <laughs> you know? Uh, but the fact that this show has managed to stay around 
and do what it needs to do. I mean, good on that. Yeah. Thank you. AJ? Was this with AJ? That one. This last one was from Smelly Pie. Thanks, Smelly Pie. <laughs> it's so great. I love it. I love that they got that name. Like uh, that's like when you go to the DMV with something awesome and you're like, I wonder if they're gonna let me let me do this or not. And Apple totally let them do it. Stand by, we'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon 5 for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community, and you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. But I love reviews. You know what else I love on this show? What's that? The games we play. Yeah. One of those games is we get to the end of the episode and we look at next week's episode based on title alone. We make a prediction about what that episode is going to be. This is now the part of the show where we look back on last week's episode where we predicted what this week's episode was going to be like. And we try to figure out, did we get last week's episode correct? Last week's episode prediction correct. Jeff, how'd you do with sick transit veer? Well, I said Veer was going to be in it, so I got that. But I, I thought Brent that Brent that Brent was going to become the emperor. I thought Veer was going to become the emperor in this one. He did not do that no. at all. He he touched the emperor's chair and the drapes. Yeah, and the, just the drapes over here, swatting something. How about you? How'd you do? Well, I, at first I didn't, but then I did. Uh, here's what I said. I said Veer is going to be moving from place to place, which. Yeah, Kind of. But I said, but it's probably more in his ambassadorial role. And by the time we got to the end, he lost his ambassadorial role and he's back with Londo on Babylon 5. I nailed it. But I said also probably what he was doing was he was seeking new alliances for Babylon 5, which has just declared its independence. And you remember when we went in, Jeff, I'm going to declare this right now. You remember right. when we went in to the beginning of this season, or maybe it was the end of last season, and I said, they're leading us towards Babylon 5 breaking away from Earth. Yes. And like all of my predictions were, this is the episode that it happens. This is the, I'm going to, this will be my prediction until it happens. And it took like three or four episodes and it finally did. Mm -hmm. Well, my prediction now that I'm going to continue with this prediction until it happens is the rest of the worlds out there have to recognize Babylon five as an independent state, because when you break away and become an independent state, people have to recognize you as such. Like there's, that's a thing. That's the way they're building the political landscape of babylon 5 in the universe that we have here that has to happen that's got to be uh you know people have to take sides anyway you know hey we're gonna line ourselves with babylon 5 we're gonna line ourselves with earth whatever it is so it's got to happen somehow somebody's they've got to recognize so that's that's my prediction that didn't happen in this one but i did get veer's ambassadorial world changing yeah yeah it's not bad you know i'll call it three-fourths of one 
It's good. Well, hey, if you have no idea what we're talking about, if you've never seen this episode before, if you don't remember what this episode is about or any of those things, hey, Brent, why don't you remind everybody what Seek Transit Veer was about? Well, hey, Jeff. Yeah. Do you know what it means? Uh, you know what it means when you have that dream? You know the dream that everybody's had where you go into work, but you're naked? Yeah. Yeah. I know that dream. Yeah. But do you know what it means? I don't. Like, have you ever done the psychology behind it about what it means? I've not. Yeah, it, it means nothing. It's just there to waste time. Oh, okay. Okay. Is, yeah. So let's start with Veer. Veer is back on Centauri Prime delivered. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, Veer is back on Centauri Prime delivering his reports. You remember those reports that Londo was helping him to write a, a couple episodes ago? Well, the Emperor is impressed, but Veer receives a word of advice from not the Emperor guy. Don't listen to Londo. See, He's of the old school. He's not really going to change his mind about stuff, and you don't really have to agree with him, but he's still family, and so when he comes over for Thanksgiving dinner, you just sort of got to let him be and not really mind what he says and just ignore it. By the way, remember, this show is from the 90s, not right now. If only Veer would actually remember this advice at the end of the episode. Let's get there. On his way back to Minbar, Veer has a layover at Babylon 5. When he arrives, he is surprised to find that Londo has a surprise waiting for him, a wife. The only problem is Veer's never seen this woman before, and Veer isn't married. At least, he wasn't married. Turns out Londo helped arrange the marriage between Veer's family and the girl, her name is Lindesty, and their family. It's all done except for the official ceremony and the um, consummation, which begs the question, at what point is the consummation considered consummated one, two, three, four. You got to go all the way to six for it to have, like, I don't know. Veer is super hesitant about all this because turns out he's watched one too many Disney movies when he was a kid. And when he marries, he just wants it to be for love. But Lindesty, who by the way, is absolutely gorgeous and absolutely brainwashed and absolutely racist. We'll come back to that later, but Veer is not so comfortable with this whole situation. Right now, though, let's talk about this big, scary Narn who's trying to kill Veer. Hey, there's a big, scary Narn trying to kill Veer. You see, it's a blood oath, a blood oath, which is with his pouch brother. Okay, Uh, but why are they trying to kill Veer? Well, because Veer has helped to arrange the transfer of over 2000 Narns from the Narn homeworld, where things are super bad, by the way, to the Centauri homeworld where even though those Narns are going to be put into forced labor camps, they're still going to have a better life. He even created a fake government bureaucrat named Bonko Bonko on the old head-o, or Abrahamo Lincoln-y. Yeah, apparently Veer was hanging out with Dr. Franklin a little too much because he's basically now operating his own underground railroad. So why is the guy coming after him with the blood oath? Well, it turns out that those 2,000 Narn who were on Veer's list, they all died. Londo's impressed. The Earthers are appalled. And Veer, under pressure, lets the cat out of the bag. I don't really understand why in this moment. He could have just shut up and let it be, but he let the whole cat out of the bag. Those folks aren't dead! No, he for real has an underground railroad going on. They were women, they were children, they were the cultural leaders of Narn, and they are alive and well, living under new identities somewhere and now it's the earthers who are impressed and londo is appalled 
Londo recalls Veer from Menbar, stripping him of his ambassadorial status because Veer's confused and needs some more training in what it means to be Centauri. Londo has had to call in lots of favors to cover the whole thing up, and they're never going to talk about it again. But hey, this isn't the first time this has happened. No, the last Centauri ambassador to Minbard, he also got all mixed up. So we're just going to blame it on that. Veer's marriage to Lindesty is being postponed until Veer can be um, corrected. But the real question is, will Lindesty ever be corrected? Because she reveals in this episode all of her racism and all of her bigotry, which is super deep rooted into the recesses of her mind. But still amazingly in that moment, before they say goodbye, Veer still has hope for her. Unfortunately, Veer doesn't stand up to Londo and he does go along with all of this kind of like that uncle at Thanksgiving. But honestly, I'm not really sure that Veer had much of a choice. The one good thing though, to come out of this episode is no one really knows about that fake bureaucrat that Veer created, you know, Lincoln. -y. He's still active in the system. And Ivanova decides to double down and create a full Facebook profile for this guy. Cause after all, that's a resource that they could use to help the Narn later on. So Sheridan completely signing off on this and giving his permission to use his image as the profile pick grants Ivanova the official title sneak in residence. Jeff, what do you think of this episode? Sick transit veer. God, I wanted to love this episode. I wanted so badly to love this thing. Veer is actively making, trying to make things right. Like he's putting his money where his mouth is. Uh -huh. We got more stuff on Centauri culture, you know, like the marriage stuff. And we got, we got to see Centauri prime again. We got Sheridan and Delenn almost kissing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, pillar filler, man. That's that. The whole thing was just pillar. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What now? By the way, I get a buzz for that. That's a hundred percent of Star Trek reference. But this was this episode was a mess. It was a complete mess, right? So there's the scene with Veer walking into a room full of Narns right after a joke about a bunch of Narns locked in a room that just kind of went nowhere. Then there's the Narn laying on the ground, all tied up, and Lindesty giving him the knife that just kind of nothing happens with. And then the ending, right? Like, dude, Chick is a stone cold killer. She is a racist, a hardcore racist. But, you know, she kisses Veers, so eh, it's all kind of sort of okay. I think I think this episode is meant to, like, start setting Veer up as an independent thinker and a decision maker, putting his stuff into action. But at the end of this, like, it was a two steps forward, three steps back. Like, oh, look at Veer. He's a, he's a real boy. He's a real man helping people out. He's and a it's real like, boy. Oh. <laughs> he is. He's yeah. a real middle school boy. Yeah. Who like loses his marbles the moment some pretty girl pays attention to him. I think this episode really missed the mark and I think it missed it. I think it missed it by a lot. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, this was, yeah. What, what about you? What did you think? Of this I one? am very much on the opposite side of the table for me on this one. Really? I am. I am. I quite liked this episode. I laughed a lot through this episode yes I, there yeah. was so many little moments and if you can make me laugh i'm generally gonna like the episode this was not a comedic episode this was a heavy episode now i i really wanted to be able to watch this episode and i would have liked to have watched this episode one or two more times before tonight mm -hmm. 
I just ran out of time, didn't have the ability to do it. And that's okay. My other podcast, Beam Me Up, a Star Trek podcast. There was a there was an episode out of Deep Space Nine. It was the episode duet at the end of the at the end of season one, where I was like, This is awesome. This is a great episode. And my first time watcher, because that was set up as a first time watch deal. And he comes in and he's like, Yeah, it's okay. And it was through that process that I was like, I think you just have to watch this. You need to understand this in light of the whole show. And mm-hmm. you've got to watch it a few more times. And the more you watch it, the more you come to appreciate this just amazing show with great acting and, and all of this kind of stuff. I see that for this episode yeah, off of the first watch. Like I see being able to go into this episode and this episode being hugely important and the performance that I think uh, Steven first gives in this episode is phenomenal. The performance that the girl who played Lindesty gave is wooden and is, it is almost emotionless and is robotic and is wonderful for what that character is supposed to be as Perfect. this brainwashed, uh, you know, this is what my mom and dad have told me my whole life. And so therefore this is what I believe. And I've never had it questioned before in my life. What Londo went through from the bug situation yeah, <laughs> to how he was so impressed with Veer for just a moment. And then he completely turned on Veer and how he drops the hammer on Veer in the middle of it was so it was such good acting. Like I reiterated it in my in my Brent Watches video. If I were to be in a Babylon 5 reboot, I would want to be Londo. That's the character I want to play. I also could be Veer, though. I would love to yeah. play Veer. But Londo would be the character just because I love what he's doing. This episode for me, though, cemented londo as a villain to me more so than anything else like more so than the grand macro stuff londo had a moment he had a a a, a choice where he could have looked the other way he could have understood the wrong he's done he could have done something for his own redemption here right and he chose not to he doubled down on his own racism and doubled down on his own bigotry and forced veer into this yeah now, Jeff, I don't know about you. I grew up in the 90s in the South, which was a place where as a as a teenager, racism was one of those things that was gross and disgusting, but we all had that grandfather, we had that uncle. You had an older brother who that's just kind of how they were, and you know what? It's gross and it's disgusting, but you're not going to do anything about it. They're too steeped in it and they're going to die soon. Yeah. And then we're going to we're going to be here. And unfortunately, 30 years later, we see that that actually wasn't the right attitude to have either. But that's what we had at the time, because kind of like Veer, I'm not really sure what you could have actually done. Yeah. Uh, But there's there's so much to this. And and because I knew I was doing deltas, I was really watching for that Star Trek message. And I think I've just given away a lot of it. But I think there's so much of that in here. Was this a quality episode? as an episode of tv i i think i said this might be more of a laundry episode type thing to me like okay yeah. i watch this when it comes on i'm not skipping this episode i don't hate this episode is this a banger is this a top five episode i don't know but i think i i i see what this episode is doing and i see the respect that i have for that episode and that makes me like this episode a lot yeah right now you know i i, I agree with a lot of what you said i think the acting in this was 
awesome. I think it was amazing to a person. Even the pretty ridiculous Sheridan and Ivanova stuff was great. Like their back and forth was was awesome. Like yeah, really good, really good stuff going on. I I think the problem to me, I don't know if it was editing. I don't know if they deleted some scenes, but there were just these things they left hanging. The the two big ones that hit me were the Narns on Centauri in his room. Like I can infer what was going on there but that's a really weird thing to throw in there and not follow up on at all yeah and then when lindesty had the you know captured the narn for him to to kill and and like i mean and again i can infer what happened but how did he get out of that how did he talk his way out of doing that and then say goodbye to her the same way that he said goodbye to her and i think that's my biggest issue with this is there Londo had two issues, two two opportunities here. He had an opportunity to stand up to Lindesty and be like, you're sick. You need to get fixed. Go, go. But instead he was like, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll learn. You'll get better. It'll be fine. And oh, kissy, kissy. I, I'm not going to stand up and actually say the things that need to be said. And then when Londo is beating him up at the end, I'm going to pull you from this. I'm going to, you know, you're, you're going to come back. You're going to be my assistant. You're going to... Veer should have stood up and said, you know what, dude, do your little tentacle wave. F you I'm out, but he just took it like the Veer we've been seeing grow and develop this, these two and a half seasons wouldn't just take this stuff. And he just took it. And I feel like it was a huge letdown for him. And I think I, I think that is a, I see that spot. And again, because I feel like I've been Veer in that moment because you really like you really said that like what am i really supposed to do here legit like you you tell me i'm supposed to stand up and i'm supposed to do this and that's all good and well when you're a teenager now i know veer is not a teenager but let's face it he's really been played as sort of the young mm-hmm. you know being whipped into shape kind of a guy right when you're a young teenager and this is how your family is it's really hard to do any like you just sort of like i you're outnumbered all the way around and it's not going to be a good conversation. And yeah, but he, but he's been, he's been outnumbered with Londo and Rifa in the room and he still stood up and said the things, you know, about, yeah. about Morden and about, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. Don't, but those were always private to Londo though. And, and even when he was with Londo, he still didn't do it. He just took the beating. He took, he took everything. I see now. Okay. To all those people who say that Brent doesn't like it when a show is not wrapped up in a neat little bow, I see where Veer is going to be in a season and a half, and how this is a step along that path. This is a, this is a this is a marking line for him, mm-hmm. and and I'm okay letting him be here right now. I feel you on what you're saying, and if we get out of the end of this show with him still being in that spot, I'll agree with you. But I think this is just a stop along the journey. And, and, but, but I hear what you're saying, Jeff, I don't want to negate that. Cause I'm with you on that. I just, I see it for him later on down the line. And this is, and, and this is a piece that's pushing him much closer to being that. Right. And as you grow and as you develop, you have setbacks, failure teaches you things, but I just feel like of the failures Veer could have had mm-hmm. this, w- these were two epic failures for him. And Londo dumbling down on his own villainy is just that much more disgusting. But uh, so while we're talking about this, obviously we're talking about Veer and, and this piece of it. And I think the part that I really wanted to, to go back to watch this again, and I needed more, a little more time to think about it. So help me, help me 
flesh this out right now, Jeff, live here on air. At the beginning of the episode, Londa or uh, Veer meets with Minister Dude, n- no name Mixantari face. We've never seen this guy before, right? No. Okay. Uh, he comes in and he he tells him, Veer, we loved your reports. There are some parts that were written by Londo, right? Yeah, we saw it. Hey, listen, he's of the old school, right? Like, I, didn't he actually use those words? He's of the old yep. school. Totally. Just don't don't let him do that. Don't let him be whatever. And then Veer, like Londo goes in and just drops all six of his tentacles all over the situation. Yeah. You know, and it, but Veer was told, don't let him do that. Right. Mm-hmm. What does that say about how Londo is viewed on Centauri prime with the current administration that's there? I think we know. I mean, I think we saw that in dust to dust when Jakar was in his mind and they basically were like, you're a joke, dude. So you're going to go take this. And then Rifa has been playing him like a fiddle. Yeah. The whole time Londo Londo is a joke period to his peers and i think and i and think he doesn't to, get to, that about himself yet does he no no i think that i think he was told that right when he went to babylon 5 and then i think that he wanted to prove that he wasn't and i think that's part of what forced him early on to go along with morden and do stuff was like i'll show them i'm not this is you know i'm not a joke i'll show them and now he's so deep in it but the bottom line and in the, in the at the end of all of that He's still just a joke to everybody. It's particularly troubling for me because of the couple of episodes we saw in season one. I'm thinking of Londo with Adira. Yes. The the stripper Centauri slave girl where he's like, I, you know, status and ambition and this, that is, that leaves you wanting. It is not what is important in life. Right. And then when Veer's cousins come on board or whatever, and it's like, I forgot how to dance. I want my dancing shoes. You guys go be who you are. Like, like Londo, like there's this old Londo and he's letting that fall away. And now he's just doubling back down onto all of that. And that's, that's what is so disappointing about Londo to me in this. When you get a new job or something and you know that you got it as a joke or, whatever you know go over here you can't mess stuff up too bad just just go do this thing you have choices one of those choices is to be like well i'll show you yeah man man another joke is to be like you know what fine there's no pressure on me you know so i'm gonna lean into that i'm gonna have a good time i'm on this station with a bar and gambling and stuff i'm just i'm just gonna live it up and i think that's where londo was in the in season one was just like fine i'll do my job i'll take it when i need to i'll show up and take it serious but I'm a joke, so I'm just going to enjoy life as much as I can. But then when Morden came and he dangled that power in front of him, that opportunity to prove everyone wrong, he bit hook, line, and sinker, and now he can't, he doesn't think he can let go of it. And he doesn't want the shadows to do it for him. He wants to do it himself. Himself. And he and he also recognizes the sheer, and we've seen that. Londo recognizes how wrong it is for this to go as far as it has gone. But yet he also subscribes to so much of that as well like we'll abuse them just not that much not to the point of obliteration although they should be obliterated like right exactly yeah we'll treat them well i mean we'll just re-educate them we'll put them to work also we will you know make sure they all die the faster the better you had mentioned in the recap how veer made the choice to like spill the beans about what he's been doing to smuggle the narns out right there in front of londo 
But to rewind that a little bit, who did Ivanova think she was dumping all that, all that out in front of both Londo and Veer? Like Ivanova set a lot of this up. Like that should have been a one-on-one conversation with Veer and then a one-on-one conversation with Londo and then bringing people together. But she just pulled everybody in and was like, hey, Londo, guess what your dude's been doing this whole time when actually he wasn't doing that. Yeah, it was, well, especially where she had already had that conversation in private with Veer of like, hey, what's going on? This is coming out of your office. Oh, you're smuggling these guys into forced labor camps? And he's like, yeah, but it's better in forced labor rather than over there. And Veer's still trying to maintain his cover. Yep, he wants to keep the railroad running. Trying, trying to keep it trying to keep it going. And then when it comes into, hey, there's a blood oath dude here who's after you, and it's because these 2,000 have died, to bring Londo into that was awful. I agree with you. Like, I, I did not understand why she was doing that. That was one of those I just kind of had to shrug my shoulders and go on because that should have been that conversation with Veer. Hey, Veer, you know why? Do you know why? Because all those people you put in there have died. And then Veer could have gone, okay, I'll tell you something, but you got to keep it a secret. Like, Veer would have brought her into that if Londo hadn't been there, like, much sooner. But also, on the same time, I could throw that back on Veer. Why didn't Veer be like, hey, uh, like let it ride and then go find Ivanova later. Yeah. And be like, Hey, we need to, we need to talk. Oh, and not that Veer knows that this is going on on the station, but Hey, we bring somebody else into this coalition that we have forming that Jakar is now on. And now you have a new Centauri representative on the coalition. Um, I, I just, I don't understand why it had to go down the way it did, but it was all, you're right. It's because this was happening in front of Londo, you know, and Veer's still learning. Veer is definitely, yeah, it's a game, and he's learning how to play the game. But I, I, I think, I think both he and Ivanova knew better. You know, I, I can almost, I can almost see Ivanova, but he knew better than to, in front of Londo, do a full confession. Right. That was that was certainly not his uh, finest moment. Right. Right. Um, but let me ask you: at, at what point did you figure out that Veer was Oscar Schindler? As soon as they said Abrahamo Lincoln or whatever, I was like, "Oh, that's Veer. That's Veer." And, the, and that's when I and that's when I did the math on the Narns that were in his room on Centauri Prime. I'm like, oh, they weren't waiting to whatever they he was going to. That's part of his smuggle operation. OK, I get it. Now. Yeah, he's getting them off of, I guess, Centauri out, Prime. Yeah, he's getting them, he's getting them out, you know, because I like think. Oh, yeah. It, he, how stupid Veer is playing. It's so much better in the labor camps than it is on Narn. And people on, on Centauri would just rather see the Narn suffer. So I'm actually doing a good thing by bringing them to the labor camps where they have housing and food and, you know, and, and healthcare. I mean, this almost, I mean, it literally sounds like this is Oscar Schindler in the middle of Nazi Germany. And then you got Chicky coming in, Lindesty, who yeah. is like a robot parroting what her government and her family and her upbringing and her culture have told her. And it's all wrong. Have you, you've seen the Eddie Murphy classic coming to America? Um, maybe like 63 times. Okay. I was about to hit the outro and end of the show. If you had said no, I was like, we're done here forever. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing. In fact, I still, I, I give the most random reference to, to coming to America almost weekly in my life. Really? It's just this. I go, aha. <laughs> Now, if you know, if you know, the, if you know the movie, you know what I'm doing. Right. It's a dude in the barbershop, right? Yeah. So good. Hey, would you taste the soup? 
sir, I don't want to taste your soup. Just please taste the soup. Just taste the soup. Okay, fine. I'll taste the soup. Where's your spoon? Aha. <laughs> when he's in Zamunda and he meets his arranged wife and he's like, so what, uh, what music do you like? I like what you like. Uh-huh. Uh, what food do you like to, I like what, that was Linda Steele. Like she was raised to be the wife of some important person and then continue on the genocide of Narns with that high powered person. I, I was, I literally was thinking of that exact same reference with the, the wives in Samunda. Um, but I was also thinking like I was listening to what she was saying, Jeff, the most important podcast episode singularly important podcast episode i have ever done and i i i'm sorry i don't mean i don't mean to pimp my other podcast i will pimp your other podcast then on this one it's beam me up a a star trek podcast far beyond the stars right from deep space nine such a great episode and, and i'll let you talk about it but you had a guest on for that one which isn't part of your format but you brought someone and one thing i loved about it is the only episode that we had a guest come on for the entire run a thing i loved that for you and matt when you did that podcast was you had an agreement that if there was something on the show that talked about a thing you had not experienced an addiction a mental health a race thing or whatever you hadn't experienced it you wouldn't speak to it right so how do you talk about far beyond the stars you bring in someone who's experienced that, and that's exactly what you did. Yeah, and we brought in my friend Jessica, who is a black female, and she and she also works in educating and teaching people about uh, a lot of the issues that our black brothers and sisters face in America specifically, and the history of what that is. And I was really thinking of her throughout this whole thing. The Lindesty is, and, and I want to encourage everybody to please go listen to that, not to listen to me, but listen to Jessica. And, and I, I mean, Matt, Matt was here at my house last night, Jeff, my co-host yeah. for that other show. He's a good friend of mine. He lives in States away, just like you do. He just happens to be here. He was stopping through overnight. Um, and he and I were talking about this very episode last night. Uh, part of why I didn't get to watch this episode multiple times. Anyway. Because even Matt was sitting there saying, like, he had no idea. He was floored and flabbergasted just listening to Jessica uh, and, and to discuss this in reference to what, what happened with Far Beyond the Stars and mm-hmm. uh, the way that people are. Th- and one of the things I, I just, it always jumps out to me as Jessica was talking about something that she had personally experienced the effects of where she said that, and I forget what the exact stat is. But she said that that black women are X amount times more likely to die in childbirth than white women are. And that is because there is this belief, this long held belief that has actually been in like books or something like that. Medical books that black women or black people as a whole don't feel pain the same way that white people do. And they they don't have to have anesthesia anesthesia and they don't have to have. Uh, these are, and when, when they complain about it, you don't really have to listen to it because it's not real. They just don't feel it as bad as everybody else does. Like that is a legit reason. And, and, uh, she was in a spot when she was giving birth to her son, um, which I, I, and I was very close to this because I, I got a call from her husband. Who's an old friend of mine who said when she was pregnant and she's, he said, Jessica went into labor. I've got to take her to the hospital. Can I bring my daughter to you? And his daughter came and stayed with us for a week while they were dealing with this. Like that's, uh, but I, but I, 
I say that just to say I I remember v- watching this whole episode unfold. She almost died because they didn't believe her until somebody came in and believed her about what was going on with her body in this pregnancy and and birthing their child. And and everybody's fine now. Thankfully, they made it out on the other side. But how many people haven't? Yeah. I'm listening to Linda Stee, and she's talking about how they don't really know. Those Narns don't feel. They mess their own nest, she said. Yeah. Um, like just these 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 preconceived notions that she is just spewing that frankly this is probably the overarching held belief on centauri about what the narn are and then i'm thinking of star trek and i'm thinking of the episode with david werner and picard and the four lights and in uh chain of command part two yep right is that it and there's this scene where the cardassians little boy comes in or little girl and she's like well what's wrong with him oh he doesn't love their they they don't love their children like we do they they can't feel pain they can't whatever and and just this dehumanization the idea that in nazi germany the dehumanization the oscar schindler list here in america just in our own country during slavery and then that carried over for at least another 100 years and in many ways has continued to carry over for the last what's now 60 years beyond that of of these these oh this is how they're different from us and how absolutely gross and disgusting and for her how much is she to blame for that it's such a fascinating question there's that movie uh megan i think it was called about the doll that had the ai in it that was killing people and the e was a three or something like that something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that was like, out, i don't yeah, know like beginning of the year or something right maybe something like that yeah, yeah. A, long, a while ago but that really caused some some really great conversations is it the doll's fault is it the programmer's fault if the a if the thing does what it was programmed to do and does it really well is it it's is it that person's fault that even blows up even bigger i mean you can ask that about most anything if we raised a person to believe a thing and programmed them to do that thing is it their fault you know because i also think about it in terms of well this is why this is this is the case i'll make for it being her fault Mm -hmm. you and i as viewers of babylon 5 have gotten to know one narn Mm -hmm. two sort of right with talon a little bit but really we've gotten to know chikar natoth sort of although we haven't seen her in like forever I'm fine with that. Yeah, with new actress lady. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because yeah, but we got to know two. We'll say yeah, two, two, and a little bit of Talon, and we know based based on just knowing them, nothing she said was true. Like not even a sliver of what it was. So if she lived, she was taught that from birth, and it was her family and her society and everything saying that, and she never had actually seen a Narn. Mm then I would say it's not her fault. She's programmed to believe that, whatever, but she has. She's studied them. She's stayed with them. She's gone to their villages to observe them and talk to them and decide how aggressive they are. She's had the opportunities to see them as people and has made a choice as an adult to still believe what she was programmed to believe. We talked about this in an episode a while ago um, Delenn said a thing about, or Sheridan said a thing to Delenn about being open to, you know, having your mind changed essentially. I think it was when the, they first started seeing the shadow ships and uh, early in season three, but it's, it's the same thing. You have to be as an adult, as a person with agency, when you have an opportunity, 
opportunity to learn more or see otherwise, and you don't take that, that is your fault. And I think that because she was exposed to Narns, I am going to put responsibility on her. That's the case I'll make to put responsibility on her. I don't disagree with you. To be raised in a certain way to believe certain things is not necessarily your fault. To continue to propagate and to believe those when you become a person, y'all use your word, of agency. When you have a mind who can think and who can see and you choose to continue to just uh, dehumanize anyone or anything, when you take value away from something, when you take value away from life, you take it away from life and you don't respect it and you do that as an adult, whether it is a five fingered operating thing that kind of is a humanoid form or whether it is a, a, an animal that is bred for, for eating. Yeah. You do respect life. You still respect life. Now I may not, I may not take a beef cattle out there and treat them the exact same that I do people, but you're not going to go out and abuse them. You're not going to, you're not going to do that. You're going to respect them. You're going to, you know, it's what the Jews and the Muslims have totally nailed right? with kosher yeah. and halal food. Like you're going to treat this animal a certain way. And that way is with respect. Right. Right. Or, and I, I don't know exactly how true this is. And I am not one to ever say that all native American uh, nations are the same nation because they were not. I recognize that they were all different. They all had their own cultures. They all had their own languages, but the thing you generally see is they tended to be a bit more connected to uh, earth and mother nature. And they had a lot more respect for the land and the animals, uh, you know, and that, that harkens back to my mind there. You have to, the, I was raised that way thing only goes so far. Exactly. And that is why I was, I, Jeff, I, I mean, we may as well, the rest of the episode was the rest of the episode. Can we just agree? Like I have one little piece and then let's dive right into it. Okay. Because Go you ahead. said a thing in the recap that I disagree with. Okay. The Shankar, the blood oath that was declared, I believe was declared against Lindesty and not Veer. Ooh. I think it was a fake out that they did to make it look like it was Veer and then prop up that 2000 Narns had died. But when she had dude on the floor, she was like, I recognize him. I saw him in his village and he was the pouch brother of the one who came to kill Veer. So I think that the Shankar like Veer's Veer is Veer is pure and golden through this whole thing. He's so pure. He's never gotten past one, right? (laughs) He's that. (laughs) And he, and he, you know, which that scene was epic. Uh, It was so good. It was so great. Yeah. But even with this whole underground railroad thing, he's pure. No one, no one thinks he's killing people except Londo Lindesty is the murderer and she's the one that families are heading after. I, I like that as a theory. I don't know that you're right. I don't know that I believe that you're right, but I like that as a theory. And I hope Jeff, because you said that, because I like it so much, I hope that they come back in several episodes down the way and turns out they're going, that's actually who they're going after instead of veer. And we just thought that it was veer in this episode. Honestly, I bet if you watch this a second time, like when we get done, go watch this a second time and then just text me. You'll be like, oh, yep, I see it. I see where they actually went after this. So, yeah, yeah. I can I can I can get with you on that. Let's get to the Star Trek message. Let's do it. Because I think I think this is where we are. Uh, So we're at that spot. Uh, We're going to boil it down. We're going to see if it has the Star Trek equality. Jeff, we've already been talking about it for the last 30 minutes or so. 
I'm going to rate this episode on a scale of zero to five deltas as far as how Star Trek this episode is. Jeff, you get to do Star Furious as far as how much we enjoyed this episode. I do not claim that this was a feel-good episode. I laughed a lot. I do not claim that this was a feel-good episode. This also, by the way, not a palate cleanser. No. Last no. week was not a palate cleanser. This week was not a palate cleanser. I need a palate cleanser after this one. Yes. Well, we'll talk about that uh, a bit later, I think. Um, everything we said about Lin- Lindesty and how she is responsible for herself. She has age at this age. She even in Centauri culture, which arranges marriages and girls are bred to serve their husbands on some level, not every level, because we saw Londo's wives, right? Because I'm going to tell you every single one of those girls were about their own um, survival and their own comfort, except for maybe vomit lady Tamov Timov, yeah. yeah, who actually again, had showed her own agency over herself and made decisions that were, was right for her and, and didn't, you know, we need, we need Vera to get a little bit of that Tamav attitude. Like I have no respect for you. And I'm going to stand here and tell you that even after everything Linda did, she trapped the norm. She said, kill him, do it. She said this and she looks at him. She's like, I, you know, yeah, we're going to postpone this. We're still good. And I just hope that you get all the help you need Vera and that you get your mind right. And Veer is able to still look, sit there and look at her and go, actually, I really hope you get the help you need. I hold out hope for you. After all of that, that Veer can look her in the eye and legitimately still have hope for her. Londo, or Veer looks at Londo after every sentence that comes out of that man's mouth and holds out hope for Londo. True. Veer doesn't hate his entire culture for what they're doing. He holds out hope for them. Veer is the hope. Veer is the last best hope for Centauri. You know what I mean? For the Centauri people, for Centauri Prime, Veer is that hope that not all Centauri are bad, that not all Centauri are jerks, that there are those who are out there who, are, who see and understand and are willing to do the right thing. Veer is that example. And rather than rather than do this thing where he puffs himself up and says, oh, if you can't understand it and look at it the way I am, then you're garbage and you're trash. And I'm good. No, he holds out hope that you can be better. You can be better. He holds out hope. He holds up a mirror to society, Jeff, and says, this is what you look like right now. Jeff, I I had a cousin. For those of you out there who aren't aware yet, I am white. I am so white. When I did a DNA test, 95% of my DNA test came from Northwestern Europe. And you're so white that we have viewers and listeners that have charted your sunburns just from the time you've spent <laughs> in the sun each day. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's hundred percent true. My family is white. My cousin who is six months younger than I am. She and I grew up together. She came home with a black guy as a boyfriend they eventually got married i was sitting there the day that she introduced that young man who she introduced him to her grandfather and he damn near shut her out of his life wow and and went off in a way that londo went off on veer i have i have seen that whole action and 
you know, and I mean, this is her grandfather. She loves her grandfather. Uh, this isn't the grandfather we share. This was her other grandfather, right? We're all family. So, <laughs> like, you know, and, and he's a good man, mostly. But this thing, he just, he was very against interracial dating and mixed marriages and mixed children. And he is of that old guard, but he's also a man who works hard and loves his family and, you know, wants to give to the poor and help people out and all this, but not them, which is gross and disgusting. You know, she eventually married him and they had a family, you know, and unfortunately that marriage didn't work out. But, you know, I watched this thing happen, you know, and the, the hope that, that you hold out for your relatives who just don't get it. And you live in that. I mean, you look like, what am I, what am I supposed to say to grandpa? He's coming to Christmas dinner. He's got, I'm going to his house for Thanksgiving. He's going to say something. I know he is. And I just got to kind of roll my eye. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, again, today would be like, yeah, don't go put yourself in that position. Don't go. The fact that Veer could still hold out that hope was so impressive to me. This one little line, because the whole, the whole show just held, held up a 1990s racism mirror to me. Yeah. Jeff, when we talk about the Star Trek quality, does it hold up a mirror to society? Does it give you hope that things can be better? Does it show you how things can be? Is there a moral message? This one was through and through. Everything within me wants to not give this five deltas, to knock it down something. And I don't know how I can do it. This is a five delta episode through and through. Jeff, did we like this episode though? Yes. I mean, yes. It had huge flaws, huge problems. And I still think, like, I'm not, I mean, I don't disagree with your rating to the point of like it mattering. I still think that things got boiled down to a stupid moment of like, she kissed me and I'm all Twitter pated now. No, blah, 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 it's okay. Like multiple times, you know, like she kissed him and he's like, ah, okay. I mean, you're, I guess you're just a little racist, so it's all right. And I think that weakened this one for me, but I think though, what this really taught me, what this really said to me is that there is no such thing as casual racism, right? Like, yeah. oh, he's just a little, he's just a little racist. No, she's just a little racist who's born and raised that way. Who then operationalized she's, she's a little it. racist because she's tiny, right? Ex- exactly. That's yeah, all that that short means. Person. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. If you're racist, you're racist, period. And I think that. If this episode was made today where we know more about things, I think Veer would have said more than I hope you get, you know, taken care of. I I think there would have been more of an anti-racist message of just like, no, you you are wrong. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you can see how you're wrong and change your mind, but just being crystal clear with her that she's wrong. And I, when I think of, how much I liked, we liked this episode. I have to kind of remove that, that filter a little bit of this wasn't made today, right? This was made in 1996. And so, which I, think, I said in my recap, I was like, right. Remember this was made in the nineties, not today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I think we're, we, we, I mean, we're not bet. We are not better, but we know better now, you know? And so I think TV has more of an obligation now than it, than it did then. But this does what Babylon five does, Right. What made this Babylon five was that the person they got that they cast for Lindesty was gorgeous 
and she was wholesome looking and she had a naivete and an innocence about her that when you first saw her and when she was presenting yourself, you're like, dude, Veer, man, dude, you hit the jackpot. Like you got somebody who's going to take care of you. She's gorgeous. She's like from a good family within your yeah, culture. Yeah. You are totally playing outside of your league and you're being welcomed into the bullpen. And she's right? going like, to do this everything is- for you. She, she's there in that scene where she's like, Hey, we're already married on paper. It's already done except for a ceremony. You've been, you've been to what, right? Like what's one plus five, right? Let's do, let's do a little addition here. Like, I mean, just, it was, and even when she's like, just vomiting, vomiting bigotry and hate, she's got this just pure, innocent, helpful, helpful look. She truly believes she's. That's the Babylon five part of this is that you can take the ugliest thing in the world and wrap it in pretty wrapping paper and say, here you go, where you can get done, where we can laugh at Londo with his knives, sword beating down, you know, insects and, and, and literally laugh out loud at things during this episode, but at the same time, be convicted in our soul to such a level that you feel like you need to drink bleach to like wash the horrible, horrific stuff out of you. This, uh, I, I am struggling with the star theories on here because like, I don't like the episode, right? right. but it's so Babylon five. And so I'm going to compromise with myself and I'm going to give this four star theories. That's a lot higher than I thought you were going to go. It's probably a lot higher than you thought you were going to go. Totally. In fact, <laughs> my note, I'll tell you, my note here says that uh, I need to, re- it just says I need to rely on the conversation because I'm so biased initial is one and a half yeah. i started this from a one and a half but brent you're right i think i think your point and then and then putting it in its time this delivered such an important message and in such a babylon five way only babylon five could have done this that yeah this is this is a, this is a solid four four star theories this does what I, again what what i think sci-fi should do which is have that message hold up that mirror tell us things about ourselves but just put it in alien culture so we're not offended by it exactly yeah <laughs> you no know, make, but it, make palatable. it overly clear uh what is what is going on uh jeff i just want to very clearly and explicitly state something and i'm a hundred percent sure that i'm speaking for you when i say this just in case there's any doubt whatsoever racism and bigotry is wrong it was always wrong and it will always be wrong. It is gross and it is disgusting and it should never be tolerated and it should never be dismissed and it should never be swept under the rug. Amen. Amen. Well, Jeff, with that, it is time to do something. I think this might actually be the toughest part of the entire episode, given where we just landed on this episode. We're creating the absolute 100% completely accurate of definitive ranking of the third season of Babylon five. Jeff, our current top five, is severed dreams, point of no return, messages from Earth. That one, two, three, back to back to back, passing through Gethsemane, matters of honor. That's the top five as it sits right now. Where do you place sick transit veer? Does it crack the top five? And if so, where? And if not, where do you put it? This is not a top five episode. Not with the the five that we have up there. Those are Those are amazing. Those are epic. And I think here in the ranking is where the flaws in this episode are going to shine for me, where stuff just, and again, they might've been mechanical errors editing, you know, or whatever, but they, they, they took a lot away 
in this one. So look at the next little group. There's a lot of Londo and Jakar in this season. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Dust to dust, day in the strife. That's, you know, the, 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 the Jakar stuff, convictions, voices of authority. That was the chicky one, right? The, the, Ministry yeah, when she of came Peace in stuff. the Liana, if Liana was like super sexy, <laughs> was blonde and a horrible, horrible person. Yes. Which this had another very pretty lady who was a horrible, horrible person. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little theme. Maybe yeah. there's a, <laughs> maybe that's a message here in Babylon five. So, okay, right off the bat, I, I, I'm I looking at my line being dust to dust. Dust to dust was epic, like the way it turned there at the end and actually, like, did amazing things with Jakar and Londo and now Kosh. Like, that's the the launch point for Prophet Jakar coming to be. So then it's Day in the Strife, Convictions. And a Day in the Strife, that was the one where the centauri collaborator came to or centauri the centauri the the collaborator narn came to replace citizen jakar i'm going to put this one right above a day in the strife and make this our new number eight i think this kind of takes some of that stuff like the filthiness of narns trying to help narns in the centauri world sort of a thing and ratches it up to actually centauri's trying to help narns in it so I, I'm I'm going to call this one our new our new number eight. Well, by the rules of the game, I'm not allowed to uh, change that. However, I would have probably placed this one a lot higher. I will go back to my original statement. I think this is one of those episodes, Jeff. Particularly when you get to the end and you know the whole story of how things play out, you come back and watch this one again and again and again, and your respect for this episode is going to ratchet higher and higher and higher. But I think we're going to need the rest of the show before that happens. Yeah, I see. Knowing that we're going to see an Emperor Veer, right? According to Major Barrett, we're going to see right. an Emperor Veer. This is going to be one of those, like, you know, the poles in the tent on that journey. I agree. Well, Brent, that's it for Seek Transit Veer. We like to play our games here on Babylon 5. Games? First time. We play games here at Babylon 5? Have we talked about that before? Uh, no, I don't think ever. Okay. I think it's our first time bringing up games. But one of the games we like to play, uh, it's actually one of our favorites, is that, and it's I think it's the favorites of some of our community out there as well, based on the reviews we've gotten. But we only know the name of the next episode. And the name of the next episode is A Late Delivery from Avalon. And I said that now because that's the first time Brent has heard the title. It's all we do. Look at the title. No pictures, no synopses, no nothing. And we guess what the next episode is going to be about. So Brent... What do you think a late delivery from Avalon is going to be about? Confession. That is not the first time I'm hearing the name of this episode. Oh, okay. I did. I did happen to see it and it caught my eye because the name Avalon sticks out to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was just, it just, things are up on screen and it just catches my, usually I don't even see it and, and my eyes gloss over it. This one just caught my eye because Avalon is the name of a 1990s all girl group that has what is one of, if not my absolute favorite Christmas album of all time, fantastic Christmas album, but they do own for sure. 100% my favorite Christmas song, which is a medley of Carol of the bells. And what child is this? It is the best rendition of both of those songs I've heard. And they put them both together in the same song. It's phenomenal. It makes my Christmas playlist every single year. And yes, I do make a new Christmas playlist every single year. But I don't think that's what this episode's about. That'd be wild if it was. I don't think it's about a 1990s, you know. 
Is there a big guest spot like on Buffy the Vampire Slayer where a band would come to the bronze? Or like an Enterprise where they were supposed to have like a new band on the the bridge every year or every episode. And they were like, that is dumb. No. <laughs> uh, no, but the other thing where Avalon is really associated with is it's King Arthur. Avalon is supposedly the island or the place where King Arthur is buried or not buried and just living out eternity or depending on however you you read the legend so i'm gonna go crazy like it's just sent my my imagination rolling right and i'm gonna go out on a limb here i'm gonna lean into that it's time jeff it is finally time by the way i think this would have been better this episode today would have been better had next week's episode come first because this next week's episode is the palate cleanser okay okay it's coming and Jeff, I mean, it, this is season three's soulmates. I think this is going to be a comedic episode. I think it's going to be outlandish. I think it's going to be stupid. I think all of that. So I predict in the next episode, it is going to feature King Arthur, Excalibur coming out of the past or, oh, no, 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 no. He has been living with the Vorlons all this year avalon is actually a vorlon world and king arthur like jack the ripper is coming out of the vorlon world and here's where it is i told you every prediction is going to do this until they make it happen (laughs) because this is an outstanding matter that has to happen this is the situation king arthur is going to come he's going to knight sheridan or he's going to do something he's living with the vorlon so they pull insurance and this will be the one where everybody like says yes babylon 5 is its own state but it's going to be king arthur and it's going to be so ridiculous that we're just going to laugh at it the whole way through and go this was an awful episode but it was funny so let's move on that's my prediction my favorite thing about your prediction as i head into mine is that we both had funny other things about avalon for our our lead-in so my i'm gonna say is this where my former production partner and current aew wrestler pretty peter avalon starts working for babex (laughs) and delivering packages to people throughout the station (laughs) it won't be that no uh, i this is because i guess the exact same thing this is going to be right they call king arthur the once and future king Mm -hmm. this is the return of king arthur i love your spin that he was vorlon because why wouldn't he be no 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 and just i don't think he is vorlon i think he oh, was okay. a person out of earth's past that the vorlon brought oh, where they up. went like jack the ripper did in comes the inquisitor oh, okay. okay right like i think he's another one of those kinds of things that's my guess but maybe he wasn't maybe he maybe he was kosh back then that, that's that's where i'm going to differentiate because i want to differ because king arthur okay well there's that my differentiation is going to be that king arthur was a vorlon uh-huh and part of the whole like mystical you know whatever thing to come up and i don't think this one is going to be i think it will be a throwaway kind of episode but i don't think it's i don't think they're going to lean into the comedy on this one i think they're going to try i think they're going to pull a grail and make it serious with <gasps> are we gonna, some are we kind getting, of are we getting uh uh Jinxo. Jinxo, is he coming back that would be amazing oh, that'd be great that'd be so cool that'd be great i love it yeah i would totally love that but you know what we're gonna do we're going to find out right here next week what that's all about. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us. Please subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening or watching us. And if you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts, to Good Pods, to Podchaser. Leave us a rating and a review. We'll read it right here on the podcast. So, Brent, until next time. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, Brent. 
you know, Jeff, we've, uh, we've had a few late night sessions here lately. Have you been sleeping? Okay. You know, I, I'm glad you asked. Cause I, I've been having this, I've been having some pretty weird dreams lately. Uh, well, we have weird dreams. Like what, what you got going on? Oh my gosh. Well, I had this one where I showed up here to record and I, uh, well, I, I was unpre- unprepared. <sighs> That's not so bad. <laughs> At least you weren't showing up naked or anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey, peace, victory, and long life, then. Let's mark your start. Did you see the mess in his kitchen, though? Holy yes. Hell, dude. Yeah. Hey, pro to tip, To end up y'all, with some tofu squares. Right. Pro tip, y'all. When your food is cooking, wash up. Yeah, it's part of the cooking process. Yes. But yeah, wash while you cook. Wash while you wash cook. While you yeah, clean. yeah. Yeah, wash yeah. while you cook. Pro tip.